Right, welcome everyone to Fazlift's podcast, episode 54. Uh, just on my own today, I'm going to do a QA. and a want to get back to doing these and doing them probably every two weeks just to provide you guys with uh, some more value. So if you do see a Q&A pop up on my stories, understand that that's what it will be for. So please do send your questions in or DM me. Uh, these questions that I've got today are from a combination of two Q&As that I did on my Instagram and also some DMs that I've received. So got a few questions here, so let's get started. So first question is bulk or cut after COVID? Now, this comes from a guy uh, that I know from my hometown. Now, let's delve into this. If you've been following the advice that I've been putting out in my post recently, you would have been looking to lose a bit of weight before the gyms open back up again. My whole stance was, why don't we just look to get a little bit leaner while equipment's not quite the best, uh, activity's not quite the best. Let's just look at tightening up a little bit so that when gyms open up again, we can go into like a lean bulk sort of maintenance bulk type of phase rather than a cut. And that's basically what my suggestion would be. As long as you follow the advice of, and you have actually got in some reasonably lean shape before the gyms are opened again, then yeah, I would say go into a maintenance followed by a bulk. That's what I would recommend. Now for me personally, I'll give you my sort of plan. Um, in an ideal situation, somebody would have been leaning out for probably a couple of months, if not more, prior to today. And then they've got a couple of weeks more to go. I would recommend carry on leaning out until the gyms open back up again. When you've got access to the new equipment, don't go crazy with the diet. Start on a progressive routine. Make sure you've deloaded prior to getting into the gym for the first time. When you hit the gym, ensure that you're ready to give it a good all, give it your all, have a good training cycle. And for the first couple of weeks, I reckon you can be in maintenance, maybe even the first four weeks, because the weights will be so new to you. You won't need to eat in an excess right at the beginning. So stick to maintenance. And it also that, that maintenance period also serves as a nice intermediate between your cut and then your bulk. So I would go for maintenance first. Let your body solidify. Uh, reverse some of those hormonal changes that would have happened when you were dieting. So have lowered leptin, all that kind of stuff, you know, metabolic resistance. Get over that for about two to four weeks. And then after that, you should have some training momentum. Your weight should be getting back up there. And also because you're going to be training at maintenance, you're not going to be tempted to go crazy in the gym with lots of weights either because that'll, that'll be better for injury prevention. So again, all of this pans like into the same approach. All this makes sense. So take it easy for the first two to four weeks. Just get accustomed to the weights again. Go to maintenance calories. Then after that, then consider a lean bulk. Consider a small surplus something reasonable. At that stage, you should be training really hard. Your body should be accustomed to training again. And that's what I would do. Okay. Um, if you've gotten, on the other hand, if you have just let, let yourself go and gotten really sloppy during lockdown, which is fine, like, you know, whatever. I mean, it's not been easy for anyone. So if you've not managed to actually lean down, then that's okay. That's not the end of the world. Um, then potentially you may want to look at just tightening up a little bit. Definitely don't go on a bulk if, you've, if you're looking sloppy get back into training. If you've really been doing nothing, just getting back into training and getting on a decent diet at around maintenance will do you the world of good. I wouldn't necessarily recommend cutting either, especially if you've not trained with any weights, because you're probably going to regain some muscle as you get back to the gym routine. So even with that, go to maintenance. At no point when gyms are open again, would I recommend carry on cutting. I don't think that'd be worthwhile. 
All right, so move on to the next question. Um, top advice for newcomers to training and mindset. All right, this is a good question. So with regards to training, top advice would be learn your craft. Learn how to exercise correctly with the right form. I think bodybuilding and physique training is the only endeavor where when you go to the gym, you, <laughs> your only concern is how hard you can push. Like you imagine, <laughs> you imagine if you were learning how to play tennis and you wanted to learn how to play tennis. If you imagine that you just went to the tennis court every day, everyone around you, you know, playing tennis and they're all hitting the, the ball and they're all having these games and these lovely sort of rallies between each other. And you're there, and every time you get hold of the ball, you just smack it as hard as possible. You're like, rah! You just like <laughs> smack it, no technique, smack it out the ring, you know, just everywhere. But whatever you do, even though it's completely the wrong direction, you're not having any kind of rally, no sort of practice whatsoever, no skill, no finesse, you're just hitting it as hard as you can. Imagine if that's what you were like <laughs> playing tennis. Or imagine, let's, let's see if you, let's, 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 let's switch to say if you, if you were um, uh, learning how to play, uh, you learn how to play football, soccer. You, okay, you're in a, you're in a, you know, a part-time league. Uh, you played on the weekend. So every time you got the ball, rather than doing anything with any kind of skill like passing it to a teammate, maybe going for goal, you just booted that ball as hard as you could, as far as you could. That is the bodybuilding equivalent of what most guys do in the gym. And to be fair, they don't do it as beginners. They just carry on doing it for years. It's just to go in and lift as hard as possible all the time with no attention to form, no attention to finesse, no attention to anything else. Just to rant and scream and just lift as hard as possible, as heavy as possible. Even if it's just partial range of motion, they don't care. They're going to lift it. It's going to be heavy. It's going to feel awesome. They're going to feel like a superhero. Fantastic. That <laughs> so my advice would be, to newcomers, learn your craft, learn how to actually train, um, learn technique, learn full range of motion, learn all of the concepts that lend themselves to a good repetition, a good set. Because at the heart of it, if you can't get your, your reps right, then the rest of it falls apart. Like, yeah, we could argue about diet and all that kind of stuff, but at the end of the day, if your diet is suboptimal, if you're not making progress, it's probably due to the fact that your, your training is just crap. It's probably not due to the fact your, your diet is, is, is terrible. Like nobody's diet is that bad. You're going to make some progress. You might just not make amazing progress. But most people, tend their diets tend to be absolutely freaking awful. Their diets tend to be sufficient, but their training tends to be freaking awful. That's just what I've seen. So that's what I would say in regards to training. In regards to the mindset, that's an interesting one. I'd say just learn some patience. That's probably the biggest thing. And your mindset should be one, like in any endeavor, your mindset should be focused towards the process rather than the goal. So if you go in with the, with the idea that you're going to learn how to train, the idea you're going to learn the lifestyle, and you've probably heard you know, that the phrase, the lifestyle, mentioned many times in bodybuilding circles, you know, the lifestyle. That is the bodybuilding lifestyle, the training, the diet, the rest recuperation. If you go in with the mindset of learning that first, you're going to be okay. Like you're going to be fine. If you go in with the idea of saying, I want to go in and I want to, you know, be, be a pro bodybuilder. I want to quit my pro card. Uh, I want to, I don't know, drop 50 pounds. 
yeah, you might get there. But your focus is on the end result rather than on the actual process it takes to get there. When you're in the learning stages, when you're just learning your craft, that's not really where your focus should be. Your focus should be on learning your craft. So that would be, that would be advice related to mindset for beginners. Okay. Now, if we go to the next question, uh, a <laughs> bit of a candid one here. Do you find it annoying when scientists talk saying what's the best? I think, I think what he means by that is, like, do I find it annoying when science guys um, sort of tell bodybuilders what, what to do? Um, you, oof, well, it's a tough question. Yes and no. Um, I, think, I think both are just as bad. I think like, if a bodybuilder is there saying, you know, X, Y, and Z works for me, you should do it. Um, fine, I guess. Um, the advantage that the bodybuilder has is to say that, well, I've actually done it and I know it works. So then you're like, okay, cool. <laughs> Can't really argue with that. Well, you can, but I mean, it's, it's, you know, at least it's some, it's a bit more of a solid footing. If you've got a science guy who's what is a typical of a lot of these guys, they don't really have very much experience. So he's a science guy. He's just fresh from university. He's got his qualification course, whatever. And in the same way, they say, you know, my way is the best way because science says so. Just like the bodybuilder says, my way is the best way because I said so. It's the same evil as far as I'm concerned. In fact, I had this discussion with um, a client of mine recently. Like, what I see, I see the same thing in 2020 as I did in 2001. So, like, nowadays you have all these like PTs online who all preach. Um, if it fits your macros, right? Like, you know, you can fit in everything, fit it into, fit it into your calories. And if it fits your macros is the way to do things. And no, none of them, it shouldn't a meal plan. Like, no, meal plan is not the way to do things. If it's macro is the only way to do things. That is just as bad as 2001 bodybuilders or, or 1990s bodybuilders saying a meal plan is the thing to do if you're on a diet. Have a meal plan. They're, they're two, they're, both the same evil they're two sides of the same coin it, they're both just as divisive as each other it's both a form of dietary nazism nazism they're both saying look my way is the best way and everything else and and the guy the one with the meal plan he's blind as well because he's like well my meal plan works i know it works because it's my meal plan it works i guarantee to work you're not eating x y and z all week all week long i know what you're eating then the person who's flexible to go, yeah, well, if you fit your macros, that allows me flexibility. That's the best way to do things. It's like, look, you can't be so arrogant as to think your way is the best way, even no matter how supposedly flexible it is, because even a flexible diet has got downsides. And I see these, and it's, it's a phrase that um, Martin McDonald um, used. And he said, well-meaning idiots. And I see this all the time. It's like these well-meaning idiots who think that their approach is the best way because it's best for them. They, they need to have some humility and understand like, no, fucking isn't, all right? Like, it fucking isn't for everyone. There's a room, there's room for everything. And just saying your approach is the best one because it's, you know, insert whatever here, insert meal plan, insert flexible eating, whatever. Saying that's the best, it, it's not going to be for everyone. It just isn't. I've got plenty of bodybuilder friends of mine who prefer having a meal plan. And I've got plenty of regular people who prefer the flexibility of if it fits your macros. Now, we know that long-term, a bit of flexibility is a good thing, but that's not always what these people are saying either. I'm just saying that any form of like extreme of that's what everyone should do, even if it's a very supposedly balanced approach, is that same form of dietary Nazism that is, says meal plan is the only way to go. 
So in that case, I would say with regards to scientists or bodybuilders, it's the same evil if they're either of them are saying, look, my way is the best way. And I, I tend to find that the people who really walk the line in between the two, so the people who have practical experience and who are actually knee deep in the research tend to have that balance. You look at somebody like Brad Schoenfeld. Yeah, sure. He released that 45 set study, of course. But if you actually speak, hear him speak, he's nowhere near as definitive as some of his studies appear for him to be. He's actually very open because he was a bodybuilder. He has one, one hand in the trenches. He has, you know, uh, one foot in the trenches. He has one foot in the research. He has both. He's able to straddle both. And that is the true definition of an evidence-based coach. And I think that's what missing, that's what's missing a lot because you've got these people who do uh, an online course or whatever. They've got very little experience or potentially they're coming from their own backgrounds of disordered eating saying that my way is the only way to, to do things. Again, it's the whole well-meaning idiots. They, they, they mean well, but they're idiots because they don't have a very much practical experience working with people. And they've, they've, they've got a few ideas about flexibility, about all that kind of stuff. They think the best, their way is the best. Okay, just save it. I've seen it all before with bodybuilders telling us that meal plans are the way to go. And again, that was shit as well. So, yeah, that, that's my opinion on that. It's not so much scientists per versus bodybuilders per se but it's more like extremes and just sitting there going my way is the best way that i don't agree with okay on to the next question any individuals around 5 11 80 kilo class you'd recommend for powerlifting info honestly i'm not too sure i'm quite out of touch with powerlifters these days all i would say is follow powerlifters who put out good content because that spans right the way across the different weight categories and you're not going to find too many good powerlifters who are 5 11 and 80 kilos just because um, that, that's just too small a body weight for that height. So I would say, I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of Tom Martin from uh, the UK. I would definitely follow him. I'm a big fan of Chad Wesley Smith when it comes to strength, Max Aieta as well, when it comes to anything strength-based. Apart from that, there's probably going to be some good powerlifters out there. Who's that guy who did the RPE stuff? Mike Tashir. He, he's going to be very good to follow. Uh, Boris Shako, of course, original Boris Shako would be great to follow. He's like the OG when it comes to powerlifting information. Yeah, I mean, between Chad Wesley Smith and, and Boris Shako, I don't think you can go too far wrong. Um, so those are the guys I'd recommend for powerlifting information. You can broadly split powerlifters into two categories. One is like frequency on the lifts, and the other is the more American style of assistance lifting. You can kind of see, you know, both. Um, so yeah, sorry I couldn't be of any more help there, but that's, that's kind of who I would recommend for general powerlifting information. Okay, next question, how to get better sleep? Okay, it's a good question. So let's tackle this firstly in the, when looking at a, what a good sleep routine would look like. Okay, so a good sleep routine, sleep hygiene is what they refer to it as. Sleep hygiene is basically your sleep routine. So it's just a term that's used in the research, sleep hygiene. So we can start with say an hour before bed, probably have a shower or something to cool your body temperature down, make sure you're nice and clean and comfortable. That's that's a good thing to start. At that stage, you should already be fed. So should be no more food coming in at this point. Should be fed, should be watered, should be ready. You know. So at that stage, that's when I would start to wind down. I would put away any kind of computer, phone screen, anything like that. Have some time with the book or have some kind of routine. What a lot of people do these days is uh, you can write something in a book. You know, you can actually write your thoughts, write a bit of your diary. Some people write a gratitude log which is a reasonable idea as well. 
I think that's actually kind of cool, a cool concept. I'm not going to go into it today, but if you look up gratitude log, um, it's, it's quite an interesting concept with some good research behind it as well. Um, so do something where you're connecting with your thoughts, but you're not necessarily looking at a computer screen or a phone screen. What I do is I like to listen to Audible. So I have a book on Audible and it gets spoken to me, which I find really relaxing. And it means I'm not looking at a screen myself. And then I'll just have a lie in bed or maybe even read a book, something like that. If I'm reading a book, I might have some music playing instead. Now, that's, that helps to kind of wind you down, helps to calm you down and, and reduces the stimulus which can keep you awake. Now, in terms of supplementation, uh, magnesium has been proven to be very useful. Melatonin has been proven to be very useful as well. There are other supplements like 5-HTP, um, B5, L-theanine, which are also relatively useful. Feel free to look all these supplements up, um, which you can take before bed. Uh, and I, at the moment, I'm currently taking them all, and it's been quite, quite, product quite productive. All right, next question. What training split is best for a beginner? It's a good question. Um, hmm. Best for a beginner. So that's quite a specific question. Um, if you were a beginner going to the gym for the first time, I would recommend, I'd pretty much always recommend a full body routine. Pretty much always. Full body, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday would be ideal. You're doing a, a low amount of work for each body part per day. Because to begin with, you don't need much stimulus to actually make a change. So you don't need sets upon sets upon sets per body part. You just need about one to three sets per body part and that's enough of a training effect to grow and then you can recover fast as well so let's train the full body on monday great it's recovered by tuesday you're ready to go by wednesday fantastic you're growing three times a week really really quick that's probably the best routine for a beginner and a lot of beginners won't do that because they'll consider it to be uh just like it's just just weird they want to do like splits and all that kind of stuff uh they want an arm day they want a chest day all that kind of business but and that's fine. You can do that. Just understand that the, probably the fast, if you're asking for the best training split for a beginner, I would say full body three times a week would be the best. Okay. Next question is, um, if I've got an event at night, should I save calories? Okay. It's an interesting question. I think a lot of this boils down to intent and it kind of goes back to the discussion I was having earlier about, um, <laughs> about, um, well-meaning idiots. Um, I've seen people do this as well. It's like save calories for your evening meal. So, but the thing is, that's not a very good blanket prescription. Like not everybody should do that because let's say I've got 2000 calories to play with. Okay. And let's say I'm looking to save calories for an evening of eating pizza and drinking beer. Now, what if I started off the day with like a really low calorie, 200 calories for breakfast or dinner and another 200 calories midday, 400 calories, which means I've got 1600 calories for, the evening when I'm going to be out, you know, with friends or I'm going to be at home having a bit of a binge or whatever, you know, like I'm basically setting myself up to go into a social situation where there's going to be a lot of food and my focus is on food. Very, very hungry. I'm, 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 I'm setting myself up to go into that situation where I'm going to be looking at food. And I'm setting myself up to go into that situation. Very, very hungry with a lot of calories to spend. Does that sound like a wise idea? It does. It doesn't really sound like a great idea to me you're setting yourself up with extra hunger going into that by the end of the day. That does not sound very sensible to me. Essentially what you're describing there is you're describing a binge purge cycle where you just starve yourself for the large portion of the day and then binge at night. 
but it's kind of like justified in your head. But it's cool if you can if you can get away with that. Like you know, in terms of you know psychologically feel okay with that, that's okay. But as a coach, it's not something that you should be recommending other people do. That's quite a damaging thing because you may well be playing around with people who have actually got eating disorders or have got potential to have disordered eating, and you're you're basically encouraging them to do that. Now that might be all right for you, or it might be just a way of dealing with your own issues. But it's not going to work for everyone because that's going to, it, that may well set people up for more of that kind of behavior. And ultimately, that is essentially a binge purge cycle. We shouldn't really be encouraging people to do that and disguising it as a dietary strategy. So, yeah, I think it comes down to intent. If you can do that and you can get away with it psychologically, fine, great. If that's something which causes you to feel bad, feel negative, I would say no. And no amount of cajoling from some online coach should convince you that it's good or bad or any of else it's more about how you feel about it all right next question what micronutrients do you supplement with that's a good question that's a very good question okay so outside of macronutrients like protein carbs and fats there are different what i would refer to as tiers of micronutrients right the first tier of micronutrients the most important tier the one which has the biggest direct effect on your body is potassium and sodium that's the the first one. So I supplement with potassium and sodium. So I try and get around about three grams of each per day with including my food. Okay. So about three grams of sodium, three grams of potassium, including my food. Um, that ratio can be higher as well. It can be four or five grams as well. Again, about, about the same, about balanced. And that's including food. So supplementation including food, total amounts. Uh, the reasons for why are far too numerous to go into right now, but I am planning on doing a presentation about that at some point. But it's just, it's just essential to do that. I mean, you, you, you won't believe how much better you'd feel by, by getting your electrolytes up to a good level unless you do it yourself. And I will go into this in a presentation at some point because I'm planning on doing that. But um, I mean, hydration, we all acknowledge that hydration is massively important in the body. Um, potassium and sodium are directly related to hydration. So if you can get your hydrate, your electrolyte balance right with those kind of numbers, roughly that I'm talking about, you'll, you'll, you will be more hydrated. You'll be better hydrated and it'll, you'll feel better for it. Everything will feel better. Um, so that's the first sort of tier of nutrients that I supplement. The next tier along is magnesium and calcium. I'm putting a big emphasis on magnesium at the moment because they're just looking to help me with my sleep. Um, but I would say the next tier along is magnesium and calcium. Uh, in terms of amounts, you're looking at around about a gram magnesium all around from all sources. Um, I think for smaller people, about 500 milligrams is okay. But if you're a hard training athlete, I think up to a gram is reasonable. Um, in regards to calcium, yeah, again, about a gram and a half is reasonable there as well. So that can either be supplemented or taken in via dairy, you know, however you want to do it. So those are the two big ones that I, that I supplement with. So, well, the four big ones, sodium, potassium and uh, magnesium calcium i do also personally supplement with vitamin d3 because um it's just sensible too most people are deficient in d3 so it's sensible to supplement so i do consider that to be essential and that's about it there's some other stuff that i take but that, that's enough for now uh last question is what subs do you consider to be essential uh none really but if oh, probably a better question would be what subs are going to be useful and I would say there's probably three big supplements which are going to be useful. 
and the rest are going to be pretty much pointless. We're just hyped up a lot. So first supplement would be uh, protein. She's not even really, shouldn't even really be classed as a supplement. It's just a food source, basically. So whey protein um, would be considered to be essential. Uh, and whey over any other kind of like incomplete protein, like pea protein and things stupid like that. Uh, you know, if you're going to get, if you're going to get a protein powder and assuming you're not um, lactose intolerant, get some whey, it'd just be ridiculous not to. Um, so yeah, I don't really see, consider that a supplement to be fair, but I know a lot of people do. It's just more of a food source. Um, after that, I'd say creatine, even though I don't take creatine, but yeah, creatine, it works. And again, it's related to sodium potassium. It, it works via hydration. It just makes you better hydrated makes you hold on to water in the right places. So it's good. It's actually very good as a, for the brain health as well. So it makes your brain more hydrated too, which is a good thing. Um, so creatine will be the next one. And the final will be probably be caffeine. Um, caffeine as a pre-workout is awesome. And 200 milligrams or 400 milligrams of caffeine, depending on the tolerance, pre-workout is, is all the pre-workout you need. Like you don't need more than that. So that's what I would recommend. Yeah. So they're not essential, but they do work and they work better than a lot of things on the market. So all these things like nitric oxide boosters and various other kind of nonsense, which are being really hyped up, I wouldn't recommend those at all. Just in terms of what works, protein, caffeine, creatine, they're good. Right, folks, I'm going to call it there. That is enough for today. I'll do another Q&A in a couple of weeks. Thank you.